is rolling. Cool. Here we go. Here we go. I'm scared. American Sublime Radio number five. <laughs> Take one. Take one. I made the most foul. The song that I like. <laughs> Jumping right in. Of these two is definitely with God on our side. By the Robert Zimmerman. By the Robert Zimmerman. <laughs> he's not. He's not a knight, is he? No. He wasn't knighted. No, no. I said the 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 Robert. Yeah, it just made me think of Sir, though. Yeah, not with God on our side. Well, that's that's the Dylan I know. Yeah. That's the Dylan I know and lo- have uh, have always loved and cherished. I forgot to pull the records off the shelf and bring them over here too. You know, I drove up. I don't know if you heard me. You probably didn't. But I drove up the street, I rolled the windows down, and I was blasting Hurricane. It was almost hurting my ears. <laughs> hurricane. In the car. That's, uh, that's another big one. That's a big statement. Statement. Jim. Yeah, I don't even remember <clears throat> the lyrics. About the boxer. Yeah, yeah. You know, I'm not, I just want to say, I'm not going to pretend to be a, a Bob Dylan encyclopedia. No, or even if an aficionado. But the, the boxer who gets wrongfully accused. Right. Well, that's a hell of a song. That's a real. Is it? Oh, that's a that's an amazing song. I don't know the lyrics off the top of my head though. Yeah, no, I was just listening to it. I was just front. It's very. It's no, I've known it for a long time, but I've just never. I've always been a music first, lyrics later guy. When I when it comes to what I enjoy. Opposite here. And. So, there have only been a few artists, artists um, in my life that I've enjoyed the music and lyrics equally. And I'm not going to mention them. But, um, yeah, just always listening to music. If I'm listening to 60s music and Dylan comes on, there were only like a handful of Dylan songs that I could tolerate musically. Um, Snow. You know, lay, Lady, Lay. Uh, I really like Threw It All Away. Um, well, I like With God on Our Side and a handful of others. But mostly, I think my reservations for getting into Dylan for a really long time, and I wouldn't even say I'm still that I'm into him now. Like, I feel like I've done, there's so much content out there concerning Bob Dylan um, that you you would have like unlimited work to do if you wanted to become an expert on him um, and I've listened to tons of interviews you know you just pulled up what is this San Francisco yeah 65 yeah, yeah. I love that one it's it's, it's hilarious the best. it's the best I had some like some CDs of a couple hours of Dylan interviews that I listened to like I don't know. I feel like I've spent a lot of time with my attention directed toward him and his collected music, but I still feel like outside it. Right. You know? Same. That's the thing that people feel they're supposed to do to Bob Dylan. They're supposed to. This is the cult of Bob Dylan. Yeah, yeah, yeah. They became obsessed with the man, The and they felt as if they had some sort of ownership over his creation. Mm-hmm. Which is why when he unplugged around this time, 
I think it was around this time, the 60s. And he, and he was no longer their folk hero. I mean, they used to boo him off the stage. Right. Those were people who were getting invested in him. Yes. And that's really, in our culture, the dominant thing to do now. Right. Investment in the personality and right. not in the art itself. Right. You can't get away from that now, it seems. Mm. I think that there's a lot to talk about with these two songs. Yeah. I think that that's what Dylan was doing with this song. I don't even think that this song is new. I think it was, some people speculate it was written in the 90s, hmm. actually, which is newish for Bob Dylan, but that's still at least 22 years ago. Interesting. It's a speculation, but what he's doing in this song, Murder Most Foul, yeah. he's casting that away. Yeah. He's basically saying, I don't owe you, I really don't owe you an image of me anymore. Right. I never, he, he never felt that way, I don't think. But he's really saying it here. He's, he's going into grounds where people were willing to call him a conspiracy theorist, probably. Yeah. Or, uh, you know, he got, he got a lot of support from, <laughs> or a lot of, you know, questionable support from people who followed Q. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. As you see those comments on his, on his YouTube videos of this song. I, I didn't get that deep into I always read the YouTube the comments. comments. <laughs> I, but I was on the comments on that song. You want to see where humanity goes into the depths. <laughs> it's always funny, too, because it's, it's a lot of boomers. It's mostly boomers who are like, you know, it, it was so bad back then, but thank God we had a writer like Bob Dylan to help us sort it out. And there's nobody like that for the people now, and they're way more screwed up than we were, you know. And we have Lady Gaga, right? Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> no, and Kendrick Lamar. Um, uh, <laughs> who also won. <laughs> yeah, we, all, we also have Yi. Kanye. Kanye. Which is pretty, that is actually quite old English, in a way. He knows. Yeah, for sure. Yeah, black uh, Shakespeare. Well, no, it wouldn't even be Old English. No, that's not. A, Shakespeare. Shakespeare is actually modern English, technically. Chaucer was early modern, too. People think Old English means yeah, sophisticated. Yeah. Right, it's or actually, like KJV. You re, right. Yeah. <laughs> you read Old English, though, you can't read it. No, you it's can't. It's not intelligible. No. And it's not a recognizable. Yeah, unless you're a specialist. Goes into the Germanic. Yes. You know all about it. You're a genius. So. No, no, no. <laughs> I had a, an English teacher uh, who knew it. Really? And read it well. Guy was a psychopath. Girl. Totally. What, psychopath. No, nah, she was cool. <laughs> she was actually, she was really nice. Um, very knowledgeable. She had some verbal tics. I don't even remember what they are. I just remember she had them. And I, and I made a mental note, like, don't do that <laughs> I was like oh my gosh I'm spending two hours a week in this class and she has these tics all day well all day the whole time I'm like folks that I, I don't want these things to rub off on me do you ever do that by the way when you're when you spend significant amounts of time with someone it can happen and you notice that they do something in their it can happen their language yeah well, you just you like the word like. Yeah, I hate that. Yeah, I hate that too, but I use it. 
I think I made a mental note that I would allow myself to use it so I didn't sound like a psychopath. You can, it's the same with any other of the um, the ah. Uh, if you just take a break, if you're willing to pause yourself yeah. and let your thoughts process, you can eliminate these things from your thinking. And if take if, a breath, if you have a real dickhead around like me, mm. I, I I tell Juliana when she does it. No. Yeah, I oh, say you're using you're using like a lot. Just get to the point. <laughs> and, then, and then she goes, um, okay, sorry. Um. I said no. You're using it so much that I can't I can't follow. So you have to change course. There are people who use it so much where yeah. you're going, well, where is it in there? Where's the story? Yeah, yeah. You know, it's every two or three words and you go, okay. I, I like it. She doesn't do that. I appreciate it as a spice, I will say. Um, as an actual simile, it works. This sure, is like sure, this. Sure, But I don't know how far you are into electric Kool-Aid, which we'll do Not next far. week. I will get it done, but, but I'm, I'm 50 pages in. But Tom... Tom Wolf is a natural with the word like. Like he <laughs> he uses it like a native. It's really funny. In fact, it's actually one of the charms of the book, I'll say. Um, but yeah. Well, I don't know if I picked up on that, but I will notice that things things <laughs> like that in literature yeah, Tom Wolfe, Kerouac maybe uses it, or yeah, he they, uses. They it. use it when they're not using punctuation, mm -hmm. commas. Yeah, they they're just kind of going on the run-on thoughts. Yeah, I like that. Yeah, actually, I think that's. I, cool. I remember seeing a, a an article a little a year or two after 2010, sometime around that wide moment, and. Someone did a deep dive on the word like and how the way that we use it comes from maybe not being able to say things forthrightly. We have to always say things as if they're in quotations, mm -hmm. which is what like apparently functions as in colloquial speech now. It's a, it's a way of quoting yourself. So instead of saying, quoth he, you know, you'll say, he was like, da 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 um, and other such things. It's an interesting word, interesting function of speech. And actually, you should know quite a bit about it since you're an editor yourself. Yeah, I don't. You don't? No, no, no thoughts about it. Just don't no use thoughts. it. It's, the style is just bad for style. Yeah, just, uh, you know, in, in, in talking and in speech, I don't. It's funny, part of my job, right. I evaluate presentations mm. that people throughout the company give. And one of the criteria on the rubric is, uh, you know, they're shedding the filler words. Mm -hmm. uh, um, okay, uh, like. Yeah. Okay is funny, I said okay, because there was a woman who, she presented very well, but her filler word was okay. So she would, that was a tack on. Yeah. So she'd say, you know, and we're going to navigate to this window, okay? That was her bridge. Mm -hmm. Instead of ah, or um. And, I thought, and at the end of it, I had to say, hey. They're ramp sounds. I like this. Yeah. This is very Canadian, you know. <laughs> <laughs> eh? 
But I didn't say that. But I said, I you know, I like that yours is a little different than the rest. The rest of the people go, um, um, um. Yeah. Which is natural. Sure. It's our brain going, Phew. it's like uh, pumping the brakes. Yeah. And she, she said, okay, you know, I have to take that out. I'll keep it in mind. I said, yeah, I just caught it. I don't mean to be a jerk, but you said okay like 50 times. <laughs> yeah. You know, there's an equivalent word in songwriting that you'll find. It's the word end. When you have a line break. Yeah. And may, maybe I'm I use a lot of that. taking this from myself and projecting it out to other people. But I don't think I am. I think I've observed it quite a bit. But what happens is you'll have a lyrical segment. You'll have a line in the verse. And in order to connect line one to line two... Rather than let, letting the ideas just run into one another, artists will frequently add the word "and" in order to get there. Either I do you know, as a melodic bridge or as a syllabic filler. You know, it's mm -hmm. it's interesting. I know all about that it. We I, do this. I do it a lot. Yeah, it just it's smooth. But then when you cut it out, it's very difficult. It is difficult, but I think actually. You have to be brave about it. You cut out the words like that, and something else happens to your lyrics. That's kind of unexplainable, but it's the quality, the potency, really, I think, is what improves. Well, now that I think about it, you know who uh, doesn't have that really present in the song? <laughs> so bring it back, bring it back. Bob Dylan. <clears throat> yeah. Let's try it. Let's try talking about this song. And it's lack of and. This song surprised me. Murder Most Foul surprised me. Mm -hmm. <clears throat> My thoughts from a distance are, like I told you already, Dylan is shedding a skin here. Mm -hmm. He's really going, he's swimming in his own waters for sure. He's not playing full band. He's not playing a folk song. He's actually kind of, he, right off the, the musical, there I, I recorded some, or I wrote down some different points throughout the song where different instruments kick in. Yeah. And they correspond to different changes in the song. Interesting. I don't know if you caught that as a musical guy. Because it's very, it almost has a dark jazzy. No, because it does have a jazzy thing, but I was distracted because I was... Directing so much of my attention towards the lyrics. the lyrics. It's a lyrical song. And I'm even reading along, you know. But there are these moments, though, Manasa, you, you come in. I don't know the timestamps on these, on the, on the, just from, from a, there's a point where I hear the. I know he goes to the, he goes the to the violin the five chords. Like, let's say, say he's playing in key of C, which I don't know if he's playing in that. But then he goes to a G to enter into a new section. Right. That, I, that thing. I think it corresponds right? to the things he's talking about, though. Yeah, so of course. So you've got the second half, and I'm not trying to jump there, but you've got this really, not even the second half, really starts about a quarter of the way really through the song. He starts, play it, play it. You know, he's talking to about Wolfman Jack, yeah. the DJ. Play these songs, and he's listing these songs, but I noticed when you go through these songs, it seemed to me that we go from sort of a collage of rock, blues, and jazz musicians. Yeah. To you know, by the very end, you're you're in um, 
there's like a Sinatra element and then, uh, you know, juxtaposing at the last line of the song, the promise of the country, it's a bloodstained banner, which is really, I believe, I mean, I have some ignorance to some of these songs, but I believe by the end of the song, he's juxtaposing betrayal and promise of your mm. com of your com uh, country, mm -hmm. and that the whole song is a is about the promise, the soul of the country, and the act of it being betrayed. It's not just JFK. The country was betrayed. The cultural plate tectonics mm. shifted. Yeah. After that, and I think I think even you and I and young people understand that maybe better than a lot of people who were alive in that time. I mean, it's pretty crazy. It's not crazy, but it's uh, poignant that we're recording this episode on September 11th. I know, I know. <laughs> I didn't even think of that, but here we are. No, it, it actually does make sense. It's funny. Yeah. It makes sense how it just lined up. Yeah. Because we're talking about betraying the country. <laughs> Our whole lives. Really? Yeah. Our whole lives, regardless of 9-11, everything after JFK's death feels like we're in the post-culture. Right. Well, when the GIs came back from the war and the ladies left the factories where they're building planes and ships and all these things... The government was very much on the side, or at least it seemed, of the people. And the people really trusted them because they had the GI Bill, you know, they're building the highway system, they're doing all these huge public works for the benefit of the public. People, I think, really had a, a sense that the government was on their side. And the government that they had put in place is... Well, they thought we put them in place. There's nobody more powerful than the people that we've put in place. You know, there's no, more, no country on earth more powerful than the United States. But then, well, JFK gets shot and nobody knows, well, publicly, nobody knows who did it. And so there's this feeling of like, wait, there's this other power this other group of interests that is even more powerful than the president of the United States. Mm -hmm. and we don't know who it is. It's this, this shadow entity. Right. And so that can be very, and I think the same thing even happened, um, with nine 11 granted. Now we have a lot more theories and we even had theories then. We, we had them for a long time before, but, uh, people thought they're like, well, the government couldn't do this. No. It's even like that idea, like someone tells their friend, well, I don't want to mention it, but they'll say some unsanct unsanctioned uh, information about some event in the world and, and you know, maybe information about it changes and the person's like, well, if that were true, it would have been in the news. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. Well, the, the, the United States government is, is that, that buddy you have who... Not really a buddy, but you're, but you're when you hang out with him, he's a really nice guy. The uncle. Yeah, he's the uncle, but he's out there like. Uncle Sam. <laughs> the uncle. 
but he's out there just, you know, you're like, oh, I'll be right back. You turn your back on him and he kicks the shit out of like six people in front, you know, behind your back while you're yeah. out to the movies. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> you know? yeah. And you come back and you're like, nah, he couldn't have done that. Yeah, you know? he wouldn't do that. Couldn't, couldn't do that. He's so nice. He see, he pets my dog. You know, right, right. That and and we are sold. We are sold politicians who. But then he takes your fill your, a character role. Your lunch money to buy bullets. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> the, the lunch money industrial complex. Yeah, yeah. The we are sold characters that fulfill our cultural sensibilities at the moment. Hmm. And JFK was a mess of a man in many ways, but he was he was the last time I really it really seems like this country had something authentic, hmm. uh, authentically attached to the presidency. You watch the videos of him landing in Love Field hmm. for the Dallas event. Mm-hmm. The amount of people waiting there to see him, and of all stripes, waving flags, and yeah. oh my God, it's the president. You have you had you have some of that again with a Trump figure, but you have a distinct, um, maybe slight majority of the country who hates that man. Whereas Kennedy, I, as far as I know, wasn't was a pretty beloved figure. Like, yeah, well, they respected the president. Also, appreciating him was not seen as a subversive act right whereas appreciating trump in whatever way say as you know an artist or a great man or any number of ways that you could appreciate him it all ends up being taken to the same place by someone who observes you appreciating him which will be oh you're being subversive because the mainstream outlets of ideas uh well He's persona non grata. Nobody likes him. He's a bad guy. It's not even just... Yeah, you could talk about Trump in any particular way. I mean, there are a number of people you could talk about. You could talk about how Biden just doesn't have any energy for him at all, even among his supporters. You know, let's just say JFK, half the country hated JFK, right? Or Ronald Reagan or any of these people who had people, you know, standing in applause when they were in the room. We have a culture now, and I think that we've always been suspect of power as Americans, but we have a culture now that really all fronts sort of see the presidency as as just who would want to sit in that shit-filled seat, you know? It's, it's, it's... Only as someone out of their mind <laughs> and not there. Everybody hates you. Almost every, like Biden has probably 70% of the country really doesn't like him. Even yeah. a lot of my my um, more liberal friends who toe toe like the party line, yeah, yeah, really don't like Joe Biden. <laughs> Doesn't mean they like the other guy. They just they're just kind of done. I mean, what is there to like? There's no well, right? But but there was a res- there ha- there has to be a respect for the office in some po- degree, and there I I agree. And we lost that at some point, and we are so far from having. Recovered it. I I almost think we lost that probably with George Bush. George Bush, because he was a doofus. The second, (laughs) the second George Bush. Yeah, and even even if it was a lot in a large part because the media made him look like such a clown, you know, but I think that he actually was a clown. So there was this kind of convergence between 
him being a clown and the media not really having to work too hard to present him as a clown. And that's when I think that The Office lost not all credibility, but a lot of credibility. That, because the, the character that George W. Bush was playing was started to become less believable in the second term. But also, the, the war became unpopular in that second term. It was very right. popular in the beginning. Mm-hmm. People forget. People think that, that was half the country was against it. It was like, dude, he had like a 90% approval rating at some yeah. point. I remember on TV the days after it happened, uh, 9-11, and that was when I learned the word condolences. Like I remember hearing, whatever country sends its condolences, this country sends its condolences, that country. I'm like, what the heck is condolences? And then, you know, you, you learn that it's, uh, well, people extending their, their sympathies for what has happened but um yeah we were we were very popular for a moment actually it was almost like us reaching the level of popularity that we had at the end of world war ii when everyone loved americans no matter where you went in the entire world for that moment after right the twin towers you know everybody was extending their sympathies to us but then as we all saw that it, it really was looking like a big farce Right, and the government is compl- is uh, repeatedly lying to people. Then, you know, citizens lose respect, allies lose respect, adversaries lose respect. It's the same. It's the same thing with. You know, I'll I'll even rephrase it. That was. I think after nine eleven and the story falling apart, mm-hmm. the weapons of mass destruction. The, the failed invasion right the PTSD and the yeah. soldiers returning yeah 400 500,000 dead yeah over the course of the all of those things combined really make up the same DNA as for someone who's Bob Dylan's age mm-hmm. losing JFK and then escalating a war in Vietnam yeah that's gonna define your entire yeah like national view your well, national world view it defined the the 60s and 70s afterwards Absolutely. for sure yeah i think and, it, and even up to now i'm sure in many ways yeah it's a snowball yeah. it's built off of that but if we f- put it through that lens like okay george bush 9-11 dick cheney <laughs> rumsfeld yeah the lies they sold us on the war right and feeling that you're being betrayed this is JFK's death was that moment for young people then. Yeah, well, they knocked down a symbolic... A symbolic... Thing. Right. Something of high symbolic value. So, yeah. so JFK probably, in that way, was this tower of a symbol of, I don't know, what America could be, perhaps, in the same way that, that the Twin Towers are kind of a, a, a capitalist symbol. I was going to say, capitalism. Which we had just so closely identified with. Like, what is America? Well, it's well, world capital. The, tw- the Twin Towers in, in that building seven. <laughs> <laughs> Do you want to talk about building seven? <laughs> <laughs> no, we need to forget about building seven. Oh, Barbara? Right. <laughs> <laughs> That's my Bush impression. I have to, I, I have to work on it. But no, no, i got to tell you, you got some good impressions. <laughs> Barbara said, I can't talk about it. All right. 
I just can't. You know what I noticed <laughs> about this song? One of the things <laughs> I noticed. George, wow. George, we'll talk after. We'll talk after, all George. Right. All right, all right, sounds good. Go, go paint something. <laughs> something nice for us. Uh, it's all rhyming couplets. Yes, I actually wrote that down. A, A, B, B, C, C, yeah. D, D. That's the really uh, intricate. <laughs> yeah, it is. Well, it's, <laughs> it's very classic. He, he deviates from it eventually, though. Does he really? Yes. I never. I, What's new, I Pussycat? Love- what did I say? I said the soul of a nation been torn away. And it's beginning to go into a slow decay. And then it's 36 hours past Judgment Day. Well, that's... It's the same... Right, it's a different rhyme scheme. That's all I'm saying. It's A. Is it? No, no, it's because it's A, 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 A. It's still rhyming couplets. It's just, it is. I'm just saying that he act, that's the spot. Yeah, where he has a... He has four... Interesting. Yeah, and that's probably because it's all the same idea. Did you ever hear the... Well, let's let's actually talk about the song. Yeah. Because, you know, I think we can do this. I think we can talk about it. Right off the top, I feel like this is a jazzy song. Mm. I think it's... I think it's also sort of solemn and somber, and I, I think the fact that he's just talking his way through it almost. Yeah. There's no... Come gather around people. There's yeah. no... Dun, 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 dun. Yeah. It's just... It's almost like he doesn't care... How it goes over the songs. It, it doesn't. He takes pauses at times that are inconsistent. For sure, it's all. It's kind of like a meditation. It's in a, a meditation. Way. And I noticed that it's very. The musical term is rubato. It's the the tempo is increasing and decreasing um, at the the player's discretion. So. And I mean, maybe the tempo is actually uh, consistent, but his singing is not consistent. Sometimes he's on the line, mm-hmm. on the bar, on the beat, in the bar, and then sometimes he's not. Um, and yeah, in that way, it is very jazzy. And also the music is very, it's, I don't know, it kind of like melts into itself in yep. places, in and out. And We were talking about this beforehand, and to talk about what you're talking about melting into it and just sort of loose and that I think that there are a lot of easter eggs in the song but I also don't think that this song is a you know a Ulysses James Joyce novel full of 50 skeleton keys that you need to unlock it I think that Bob Dylan's leaving us with a surface message yeah and he's I mean he wouldn't be opening the song lyrically by telling us exactly where this whole song's going down in Dallas, November 1963. Right. Using FDR's you know, words of infamy and then yep. going on and sort of hinting at Christ through the sacrificial lamb. Right. He's really building your character fast. He's not, yeah, he's yeah. not hiding anything. No. This murder most foul... We were talking a little bit before. Yep. That's pulled from scene one, act five of Hamlet. Mm. Very direct scene for those who haven't read Shakespeare. It's it's the moment that Hamlet's talking to his his dead ghost of a father. And yep. He said it was a murder most foul, and he finds out that it was Claudius. Claudius. I can't confirm it. The brother you. of Hamlet, uh, Hamlet's father. Yeah. 
who had done it. And he yeah. goes, it's a murder most foul. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And it's betrayal. And he yeah. says it's, it's betrayal. You know, it's betrayal. Yeah. Okay. So you're naming the song. You're telling us what to look at. Right. This is betrayal. This is a betrayal murder. This is Bob Dylan's view. Yeah. It's just right there. Right. And he's and the music matches that. Yeah. And there's nothing going on that makes me go. What the hell is going on here? Where it gets <laughs> where it gets strange is in some of the references and some of the songs. You sit with them. You're like, hmm. The mood's bouncing back and forth. Yeah, I saw some videos about the this. Well, we'll jump ahead before I guess we jump. I wanted. Back. I I did want to. The reoccurring character in this is is the Wolfman, mm-hmm. or Wolfman, and the idea of magic, hmm. which magic being dark, witchcraft sort of being behind the scenes. Yeah, you see that come back and forth, uh, right. uh, not back and forth. You see it come back more than once. Wolfman is a recurring character here, and I think. The whole song gets into, and you can jump ahead into the, into the songs that you want to talk about. No, after no, this. No. Gets into this idea of yes, behind the scenes, somebody was doing. There was some organization, some group of people, some shadow, yeah, working behind the scenes. But also, there was a cultural institution working to blind a generation to what's going on. Yeah, and then you have you look at the the actual dates of when they were. When they had started the MK Ultra stuff, I think it was fifty-five and fifty-six. Really? Before, you know, just years before. Yeah, yeah. The CIA said, "Look, we're done with it." And there was a. Um, I did a lot of research for this. Yeah. There was. I, uh, I, I saw. Operation Midnight Climax. That's a funny. Which name. was something they were doing in San. I know, <laughs> San Francisco, which they were they were preying upon supposedly. Yeah. Um, insecure males. Using LS yeah. uh, drug, mind this is like drugs. The, the Charles Manson stuff. But then you start crafting a generation of insecure males mm-hmm. and insecure people. Right. Well, right now we really have that, but yeah. And then distract them, and it's sort of where the '60s and '70s went. They became this pop obsessed, pop culture obsessed, um, uh, horde generation, of, horde of people. And yeah. They had. They were into protests and a lot of the best protest music in this country came out of there yeah vietnam and but anyway there's there's something at work with the wolfman idea and the magic Hmm. and the fact that the culture like rub-a-dub-dub it's a murder most foul it's almost like it's scrubbed out he died and the kids got pulled into the beatles yeah. You know, Wolfman was playing all the hits. Right. Playing all the songs. And right, all the right. kids were just getting groovy. Right. They never got to the bottom of it. And so now here we are, Manasa. Let's do, let me do my math here. 60-something years later. Yeah. Without the answer still. Yeah, well, because they time-capsuled time it. What do you mean? Well, they put all... They put the... The report... Or a large part of the documents from uh, the investigation into a time capsule, a hundred-year time capsule, after they concluded it, which is odd. Why would you do that? You know, but they did. Really? Yeah. I didn't know that actually. Yeah. So 
My what? dad used to talk about that all the time. So they're going to dig it up and... I guess they're going to dig it up and 100 years later when nobody who is responsible is still well, alive. Baron Trump will be Caesar. <laughs> <laughs> Seriously. <laughs> it's wild. No, you told me. What did I tell you? Oh, American Caesar? <laughs> yeah, well, American Caesar will be alive, I guess. American Caesar, yeah. Or American Caesar will have oh, to dig gonna, it up it's before. It's going to be JFK Jr., dude. Oh, my gosh. <laughs> I can't with the people who, who do that. But, okay, so. He's just floating on a raft right now, fishing, man. You know, he's just. No, he's rumored to be at a lot of the Trump rallies. Yeah, is uh, a Vincent. Yeah, say say your your point about <laughs> oh my God. about the seventeen minutes. Oh no, I can't. I can't. The Q stuff is too much for me. It's it's just funny. It's funny. No, I think I, I think yeah, it's pretty funny. But but I and I'm not I'm not trying to make fun of uh, Q people. A lot of them, I'm sure, are, are fine, wonderful people. But actually, my point is to that. I can see how people get caught up in that. Is there's so many of well, those. Well, it's a, a sense-making mechanism, you know? In a senseless world. People are yes. attaching themselves to whatever. I mean, because yeah. there's, when, when you, there's no objective truth anymore. This right. is the postmodern hellscape. Yeah, it's, it's like autistic <laughs> pattern <laughs> discovery. <laughs> <laughs> Shit. <laughs> you can cut that out if you want to. <laughs> no, no, we'll keep What it. do you think about Q? These people are autistic. <laughs> no, no, I'm just saying it's that level of like, okay, I had a great aunt who was That's autistic so and she could count the number of windows on a train going by. <laughs> of course, how do you verify that? But she was able to do certain things where you could verify that her sensibilities were just odd, mm -hmm. you know, very different. And I think it is actually, the whole Q thing, a very interesting case of pattern recognition meets, like, Kabbalic magic, uh, gematria, interpret weird ways. <coughs> I won't call them weird, but I'll call them exotic mm -hmm. methods of interpreting symbols and numbers and words. It's, I find it... Interesting, at least as it's a baseline. Very but I, I think that a lot of the predictions, you know, they don't pan out. They haven't panned out. No. Repeatedly. And so it's kind of like, you know, when some boomer friend of mine sends me a, a Q thing or some I have the, those. Oh, you do? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Wow. Uh, no kidding. Yeah, I've inherited certain of my parents' friends, which I actually like. I, I think it, I if think, you can do that, you should do it. I really thought Q was dead after 20. After 2020, I didn't think it had anywhere to go but into the dump. No, no, it's still around. So these things are still... What are they waiting around? for? I don't know. This takes time. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> what, what, no, what is the line? Trust it, the plan. Trust the plan. <laughs> um, well, I, hey, I'm, I read a lot of those drops out of an anthropological study yeah. that I had conducted for myself. And um, it's very alluring. And I'm not, I'm, not, I'm not actually making fun of people who, who go into that. I think it's actually perfectly logical to, to wander into that territory when, A, what, everything you said is true about sense-making and patterns, but also people are looking for a heroic figure. Mm. And we are obviously missing the heroic figures in our society. Right. It felt good to have, to a lot of people, it felt good to have a president who... Is fighting for you, which felt is what like, the hero does, to like be a champion. He was doing that. Right. 
I don't, you know, I don't know if they, I think a lot of people felt like, yeah, he was their personal hero or whatever. Sure. Look, if that's how people feel, I'm not, I'm not actually mocking or making fun of. I think that there is a point where you have to adjust, though, your perspective when things don't pan out. Yeah. You can't just keep moving it. Yeah. You can't, you know, when this song came out, there were a lot of people like, it's imminent, it's imminent. That's sort of the thing. They just push the, they push it back. Yeah. And, um, I just go, it's, it's not... It goes back to what I said at the beginning about the song. It's not he's not really speaking in code here. Like the Wolfman isn't uh, Timberwolf, which was supposedly George H.W.'s CIA okay, name. name. Oh, CIA name. Who oh. was supposedly had something to do with being in Dallas that day. Yep. I can't verify that. I didn't do any research on that. But it's like no, the Wolfman is the Wolfman, and Bob Dylan's getting you. He's talking about a guy who I was under the impression at one point in in the song, and maybe I'm reading it wrong that. Uh, Kennedy was the Wolfman, but I believe the Wolfman is sort of the the person playing the, the songs. Wolfman, because you get into uh, he addresses him again. Wolfman Jack, he's speaking in terms. Right, right. That's what I thought. Wolfman Jack, I thought is what Jack was, Kennedy. Wolfman Jack is who plays. Who's he's like the DJ. He's the guy yeah. playing the song. Wolfman Jack, hit me with the songs. And then, okay, play Don Henley, play Glenn Frey, play Carl Wilson, too. I, was t- I think I was telling you this last week, but I have these New Yorker books, collections of essays from the 40s, 50s, 60s. I think I said that. Um, and I went into the one on the 60s, and it had an interesting essay on uh, the assassination. And the writer, I forget who, who it was, um, this woman made a comment about John F. Kennedy being about what his persona, his the way that he interacted with the world was very like in the elements. So he he didn't wear a hat. You know he's out sailing. He's even if it's cold, he's not putting on extra clothing to stay warm. He's trying to be in the elements and. Even uh, when he's in the limousine, it's a limousine without a hat. Yeah. Yeah, that's interesting. Which is interesting. He was sort of that. Yeah, when you think about it. And it was like shooting down the sim- the, this ideal symbol of in the elements. You know, which I think is actually what a lot of the kids who ended up being hippies in the 60s were trying to do. They were, they were taking that inspiration of embracing nature but they were where they were without their their leader, right? Yeah. So they decapitated <coughs> the '60s generation and the '60s <coughs> kids. I think they really felt like they put him in office. Like my dad, uh, I think his first election actually was that 1960 election, the first first one he voted in, and I think he what a time he felt like. Like, oh, we put him there. Like, we made him the president. Of course, it was a really close election, and there were, like, 60,000 votes somewhere in Michigan that came out of nowhere. And, uh... Oh, no, thank you about that. And to, to avoid a, a constitutional crisis, uh, Nixon just backed out. I believe that's how it went down. Uh, what is this line? I'm just a Patsy like Patsy Klein. Never shot anyone from in front or behind. I thought that was an inter- interesting line because mm. if you watch that footage, 
some people say, and it does kind of look like he got shot from the front and behind, which is weird. Are you talking about the Zapruder film? The, the, the film? I mean, I don't know the Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's, that's in the, the song. That's, that's the film film. That's... Do you know who... Because they got to account for this magic bullet that somehow, you know, ricocheted all over the... The magic bullet theory. Yeah. Yeah. Well, it wasn't so convenient. But apparently Jackie saw one of the Secret Service guys in the front turn around and shoot him in the head. And that's what? why his head goes back. And then he gets shot again. He was shot from within the car? You yeah, shooting? yeah. That's a theory? Yes. Oh, I didn't know. That they turned around and shot him in the head. And that's why his head goes back. Instead of getting shot from behind, your head would go forward. Have, wouldn't they have to kill her too? She said this? Uh, she didn't say it. <coughs> but it's just when you're looking at the video. The problem is you're going to be in such shock when you're husband's head is blown off in your lap. How is she supposed to remember anything? And of course, you know, they're, they're, they know that. then there's the threat of like, you know, if we can do this to the president, we can do it to you. It's so fascinating. Yeah, the, that Zapruder, Zapruder film, it's called, mm -hmm. had a, it wasn't debuted to the public till 1975. Mm. And it was so, supposedly Gerardo Rivera that was the person who debuted it and it really shocked the country um, when it came out <clears throat> but until then the country really just had a, sort of had first-hand accounts and people talking about how they felt about it I think right so think about the, the gap there 63 to 75 12 years yeah I mean news travels in, a, in seconds now yeah you've got 12 years before you even see sort of that any footage icon iconic film yeah <clears throat> Which is hazy still. So then you're you're spending, you're with you've got the Zapruder film, and then people are going to be trying to dissect it for decades after it. Right. So there are a lot of people who died with just like no answers at all, not even speculative speculation. Yeah. Um, that's. Well, that's I think so worse is, is just no accountability. That, well, that's what I'm saying. Yeah. You don't even get to pretend that you get it. You're just kind of living in. In the void. And, you know, I was talking to somebody the other day about the news, and they were like, you know, the, the news used to be good. <laughs> I said, no, it never was. The reality is that you now have the means to know that it was always bad. You've been lied to your whole life. <laughs> right. You can either admit that, that the media is, you know, like, like Chomsky wrote in Media Control. Yeah. <clears throat> has always been, had one goal, it's to manufacture your consent. Yes. And whatever it needs you to do, it's to manufacture your consent. 9-11 and manufacture our consent for the war. And if we you didn't... read any amount of history, you will see that they have, they, the powers that be have always manufactured always. consent. But, but these, even in Rome, these they were doing who are this. in their 60s and 70s, like, used to be good, actually. I'm like, people don't get it. We just cracked the code, finally. Yeah. You, you, now we've democratized the analysis of news so that we can analyze the news faster than it can correct the lies that it's telling and make new lies. That's right. So, and this is why they hate social media, why yeah. they have to censor. Yeah. What is this Johnson sworn in at 238 thing? Did you see anything on that? I Here's what I did. Okay. Yeah, well, that's when he's sworn into, supposedly sworn into office as president. Okay. Ascends, LBJ. But. What is that, like a. But, well, 238, if you just Google 2 colon 38, 
you get, I believe it's Acts from the Bible. Yeah, Acts 2.38, Peter calling on the sinners to repent to receive the gift of the Holy Ghost. That's what that is in the Bible. That's, which is a monumental wow. piece of the Bible. So either Dylan, I know Dylan knows that. Of course he does. He had yeah. Blood on the Tracks, Phase, Christian yeah. Records. Yeah, yeah. You familiar with that record? Yeah, of course. That's a good record. Yeah. That's, I like Jesus, Dylan. <laughs> Gospel Dylan. Jesus, Jesus but, Freak Era was a good era. <laughs> it's a good era. But I said 238, and then I, you know, that was one of those ones where I said, you know, Acts 238. Why is it Acts, though? I believe that that's... Why couldn't it be John 238? Because it's Johnson sworn in at 238. Yeah. Well, that's just what I Googled. I just okay. I just Googled 238 to see if it would give me um, Johnson being sworn in. And it did, but it also gives <coughs> you... It also led me to this part of the Bible. And Interesting. This, this is... This is funny because I re- I started going into well is he calling upon the nation to receive you know to receive the truth to receive the mm. light the way oh is Johnson doing that no is 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 it let me know when you uh, you know because Johnson sworn in at two thirty eight but then it's let me know when you decide to throw in the towel mm. throw in the towel surrender yourself right. no LBJ was not. As far as I'm reading into the song, LBJ is the betrayer. Yeah, that's what I think. In a lot of ways. Yeah. Without it being said, there's no real. That's tough. Yeah. You know, because a lot of it's like, oh, he's a president. But LBJ had that, you know, he had that 1984 look to him. <laughs> <laughs> he had that slick back hair, that hardline face. <clears throat> Yeah, I, I don't know. I, I think it, it, it is fishy. There's a lot of stuff that went around at that time, um, especially after Johnson was sworn in. Well, man, I don't know. There, there are a lot of things in here. Okay, so, right, so the thing that I was going to get to sure. was you have this huge section down here. It's like the footnote section. Play it for mm-hmm. da da da. Play, play. It's all these songs, these references. It's like, it's almost like it's too many. Did you go through any of them? No. None no, of them. No, I I saw a, <laughs> I did I took the easy route. I saw a video where this guy had gone through all of them. But was, I think he had only gone through the songs. Kid? Yeah, that kid. Did you see any of the comments on that video? No. It's like, I'm 65 years old and you haven't even started to. To get into uh, to understand Dylan, you oh shouldn't even try. Gosh. I'm like, oh my god, the fucking those people. <laughs> no, there's always gonna be the the boomers who think they own Dylan, and then the Zoomer dilettantes who are so like, weird. oh, this is ours. We're it's just like, talking. We're just trying down. to get to. We're just li- talking about a song. We're not trying yeah. to, you know, like. No, have I a am wax not. Figure of the guy in my house. <laughs> I am not a Dylan expert. But I will say, I appreciate what I have experienced of Dylan. And actually, the song that I... I mean, I appreciate the song a lot, but as I was telling you throughout the week, the one that I really thought was um, relevant to now in so many ways was uh, with God on our side. Mm. And I mean, each... We also have... um, uh, the times they are changing in here, which 
can probably mention uh, that that would a little later. That would that would require a lot. Of it. No, I know each <laughs> one could be its own thing, but I really like with God on our side. Actually, I I know I had heard it a long time ago, but I just was never paying attention, and I listened to it about a month and a half ago um, on a drive, and it just struck me, and I think it's it struck me more now because it's like, well, we do have this Russia narrative <laughs> again, you know? And then, what do you mean again? Never went away. Okay, Never th- this is away. true. Well, but it did kind of go away as in, as being something that, uh, that was like at the front of our minds as a narrative. You think? piece of information. Who's, I do the, who's the bad guy in every action movie? It's always it's always a Russian. They they pro, they've programmed our whole lives to make this moment very I easy. I guess in all the James Bond movies it's always some Die kind of Hard. Russia. Yeah. Um even even movies like um Taken, it's some Eastern European, not necessarily Russian, but right. it's it's close enough to make the association. Well they're also white guys, so you're not being racist if you make them the enemies, <laughs> you know. But you know what I'm saying? But yeah, but you could. Why isn't it Sweden? I mean, why aren't the Swedish the bad guy? True. It's always the Russians. That's not done on purpose. Yeah, of course it's. So that, well, think about how easy it was for people to be primed for this war. Right, right. They, (laughs) they won. They're like, I need a Ukraine flag, and then your crazy neighbor next door is like, I'm gonna paint my house yellow and blue. (laughs) (laughs) It just got manic. Just yeah. insane, like right away. Just the war propaganda works so fast. Yeah. You're like, oh, that's because your minds were ready for it. Yeah. You were primed for it. Right. You were primed your whole life. Right. And even, I have... The Hollywood mimetic complex. It really is. It's amazing how it worked on us. Yeah. You know? And when you when you realize that that's what's happened, you step outside of it and you try... You become like this... Yeah, it is pretty well. You're a fucking fascist if you're not... Like, yeah, dude, what? I just don't want to be in a war. Yeah, like, didn't we just get out of Like, we just got out of one. I don't funny? remember what, what the timing was, because I, I, I actually started laughing. We didn't get out of one. We lost one. Right, right, right. No, I was... And it, it's not funny that you had people, <laughs> Afghan natives, clinging to the sides of these airplanes and falling out of the sky, just like... I mean, it was like a combination... Of pulling out of Vietnam and the World Trade Centers. Yeah. Visually. Uh, and it's a shit show. But it happened and I was thinking, okay, well that's good. Like, now we're not at <coughs> war. Now whatever money was being directed towards that, I mean, they're probably going to find some other way to, I knew it. to keep the money flowing to, to these weapons contractors and et cetera. When, when we pulled out of that, Vanessa, I said, we are lined up for something else. I yeah. knew it. And it was before Russia even started stacking tanks on the border of Ukraine. Yeah. I said, there's something up here. They don't pull us out of wars and say, oh, that's it. We're just, you know, non-intervention is foreign policy. Yeah. Okay. We have the regime in power right now. Okay? Right, right. We're ready for to, to spit this money everywhere. Yeah, and <laughs> and that's what they've been doing like crazy. It's it's like those those videos and then in the well a lot of music videos. You know, they have like the cannon where they're just shooting money into the <laughs> audience. 
<laughs> it's like, come this on, is what we're doing. We're shooting money into Ukraine. It's insane. Uh, I don't want to be complaining about this. But, um, <laughs> yeah, with God on our side, I learned to hate the Russians all, all through my whole life. If another war comes, it's them we must fight. To hate <laughs> them and fear them, to run and to hide, and accept it all bravely with God on our side. Mm. But now we've got weapons of chemical dust. If fire them, we're forced to, then fire them, we must. One push of the button and they shot the world wide. And you never ask questions when God's on your side. And this is from, this is from the Free Whalen record, right? Uh, I don't know. I should know that. <clears throat> they all get lost in the haze for me. But Free Whalen was released in 63. Yeah. So this song came out... I think months before JFK was killed. Oh man! Because you, so that's interesting. I was, yeah, I was listening to maybe a, a Carnegie rendition, which was '65, I think. Hmm. Um, but yeah, no, it's a '63 record for sure. You got May to November. Mm-hmm. November 23rd is the death. Almost exactly because May 27th, '63, Free Will and came out. Okay. <clears throat> And you have his book, and so you have this this sort of song coming out months before his death, mm-hmm. and um, and that's kind of interesting if you try and pin things on the timeline where it lines up. I just think it, I, I think it is funny that well, this song is much more to the point. I was trying to dissect it, and I just felt like I didn't have to. I feel yeah. like I, Bob Dylan was just t- talking to me. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I like I like at the very beginning of "With God on Our Side" that the country I come from is called the Midwest. I thought that was cool because the Midwest really is a country. It's it's, mm. it's a nation. Yeah, I hadn't even thought of that, but I I was thinking of it as um, it's like the heart of America. Yeah. Like the OG America that actually experienced. The Civil War that experienced the cavalry's charging, the Indians dying, like the the America that coming from those stories then sent their boys to fight in World War One and the Second World War. That like we also know that statistically speaking, I don't remember what the the number is, but the majority of young men in the military are from the Midwest and Appalachia. Like it, the Appalachian man is the one who is in the military and fighting all these wars. For now. They're they're changing. Yeah, yeah, they're trying the to change the demographics of the military now, but um, they're trying to make it like progressive and cool. Right, right. But same I, game. But. I appreciated that he he's acknowledging this <clears throat> kind of historic uh, I don't want to say uh, what is the word that I want to use here? It's like this very specific origin, uh, the kind of characters that are part of this story. Um, it's interesting. It's a, it's, a, it's a very American song, I'll say that. Yeah. Like through and through. <clears throat> and I, I liked at the end, he says, uh, through many dark hour hours, I've been thinking about this. That Jesus Christ was betrayed by a kiss, but I can't think for you. You'll have to decide whether Judas, Judas Iscariot had God on his side. Yeah, that's 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 the best line in the song. 
or the best those are the best verse. lines in the song because i th well the thing about <clears throat> that that really sticks out to me is there's this concept of free will at play so it's a very philosophical verse right at the right at the end of the song free will but again it's like did judas iscariot have free will because if jesus is, wasn't crucified he's not right gonna have this the story that he needs to have in order to be him because he's got to resurrect from death so he's got to get killed so you have to have all these characters who get him to the point of being killed right, right. in order to have him resurrect <clears throat> this whole the whole triumph but if you don't have judas iscariot then you don't have the story right yeah so then true. it's like was god on judas iscariot's side to oh, make wow, that happen yeah, yeah, that, yeah, yeah. that's the free will thing <laughs> Well, ask Tom. But Waits. I can't decide for you. Ask Tom Waits. <clears throat> you ever heard Tom Waits down there by the train? No, I don't know that song. <clears throat> What's he say? We'll do an episode on that someday. All right. It's my favorite song. Really? What's he say? He's well down there by the train. Tr the train is. Yeah, I'll write it down. The metaphorical train is is basically you know we go to die or we're taken away. Yeah. We all get taken away on the train. Doesn't matter. We're all equal in that moment. <clears throat> he says that Judas Iscariot's down there by the train with uh, I think it, Judas Iscariot's carrying John Wilkes Booth hmm. on, like over his shoulder and they're both down there by the train even the soldier who pierced the heart of the Lord is down there by the train Interesting. gets into that same question that you were just yeah. talking yeah, about yeah. <clears throat> these characters they, 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 are they condemned they, or are they, are they on the ride you know, right, it's sort right. of a thing because <clears throat> they're all part of the human struggle. But also, they they were characters filling a role, like you said. Yeah. They had they it's had like to do a it. necessary role in order for the, the piercing other of the good Lord. things to happen. Piercing that had to happen, right? Because then you get the spear of destiny. Oh, right. <laughs> you get it's these relics supposedly out there. Yeah, yeah. Oh, yeah, yeah. Dash Guggenskak. I don't know German. Oh my gosh. <laughs> it's a spear of destiny. <laughs> I think that wasn't Hitler looking for it. That was a real thing. He was. Well, I thought he had it. I thought he had it. Supposedly, the spear of destiny. I don't know anything about Imagine that. Imagine if you had that. You just like have that in like a like a safe in your house. Oh my gosh. It shakes at night. <laughs> Lights emanating from it. <clears throat> anyway, <laughs> yeah. Well, <clears throat> to go back to the songs, both of these songs deal with Dylan's. And Dylan's belief in in a, in a conspiracy betrayal. Yeah, Th there's obviously the same people who are who are getting you to believe <clears throat> God's on your side. Yeah, and that we can shift it for the Germans. The war's over. God's yeah. on our side. God's on their side now. Yeah, that's a great point. No matter what's going on, <clears throat> it's always God is on our side. Yeah, and if God be with you, or if God be with us, who could be against us? You yeah, know, it's that yeah. it's that dis distorting that biblical line. Yeah, and. Dylan is really, he's dealing, even all these years later, he's dealing with the same idea of being betrayed by the same people, I think. Mm -hmm. These people who are getting you to hate Russia and to potentially want to go into nuclear oblivion with them right? are the same people who killed Kennedy. He's yeah. writing about the same people in these, in these songs. Well, yeah. He's not naming them, yeah. but he's saying... There's something. There's something behind there. There's that magic. There's the, and they're mm. they're using the power. He even says, in "Murder Most Foul." 
Gower Avenue, looking far, far away down Gower Avenue. Well, that's Los Angeles Film District. Mm. They're using the power of culture yep. and film yeah. and music, which I'm a part of. Right. And Dylan, I feel like Dylan said something about it. At one point, he sold his soul. Really? I think. Yeah, this is a common so, comment that a lot of these people will make. It, think about it now. I think uh, one reference for the magic is definitely, I think he even says it outright. It, it's this sleight of hand. Like, what you think you saw is not actually what you saw. It's not actually what happened. Or what you think you saw happen is not what actually happened. You've been tricked by a sleight of hand. But also... I just came across this theory. It's so funny. Uh, well, it's not ha-ha funny, but it's just funny, odd. Um, about how World War One and Two, World Wars One and Two were magical acts. Like, they're very symbolic. You can find a lot of really interesting writing about the symbolism um, and how... It was, they were basically like human sacrifices in a way. Mm. Uh, and the significance of planting poppies in all the trenches and or a lot of the trenches. I've never and, heard that. Yeah, in, I'll send you I'll send you this Twitter thread. Yeah, it's pretty wild. And like Is this real? Yeah, yeah. And uh, certain monuments being built um, in uh, in certain timelines or on certain timelines and they have like all this numerical significance attached to them. It's really weird. So, I don't know. There are always, like, multiple levels to understanding whatever thing happens. And, may like, <coughs> maybe there... Maybe it's on purpose, on the one hand, but maybe it's also us being autistic and just finding insane patterns. But I think for some things, actually, it's just... There, it's not... There's no way to explain it as creative pattern finding. It's just that actually, you know, maybe after the fact, people decide that, oh, we're going to give this thing numerical significance by executing it in this fashion. Mm. Which I'm talking right now about the Canadian uh, World War I monument that's somewhere in France. I forget what it's called. Um, but yeah, uh, what was I going to ask you? Why release this song now? Why do you think he released the song? What yeah. it, was it 2016 that he released it? No. 2018 or 19. It wasn't that oh, long ago. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. No, you're right. Yeah, why now? Because I think, I think we talk, I think as a country, the conversation that we have as a country from all political perspectives, is we're fighting or we're looking for the soul of the nation. Yeah. And this is a rebuttal. Or this is a... a this song is a... It is, is saying it's been... It was... You have to go back hmm. to 63 November. Like, don't forget. This is where the soul of the nation was was ripped out of the chest. Mm. Yeah, well, there's <laughs> even that book recently, uh, The Fight for the Soul of America or something like that. People, yeah, it's definitely, it's in the air. People are thinking about this question right now. Republicans. What is the soul of America? Politically. Who's winning it? Like to think that the Who soul. Who owns it? Well, the Republican 
mainline Republican is really thinks that the soul of the country really last rested in the Reagan era, mm. uh, which I think is I, I think if you really look at Ronald Reagan's presidency, it's a lot. It's just hot air. At best, I think a lot of it's yeah, hot, it's hot yeah. air. But the things he actually did were a lot of political persecution, my God. persecution, war on drugs, yeah, things that are going to upset. War on drugs was one of the stupidest things we ever initiated. I think. Well, yeah, but it wasn't stupid. It was an intentional devastation. We probably talk, both because we, we're talking when we talk about politics now, Manessa, We talk about how the, the Democratic Party is is engaged in a game of intentional destruction. Mm-hmm. Right. And then you can say what you want about Republican Party or neocons, do this, of course, are yeah. part of that. But how I can't help but look at a Reagan presidency as the same thing. I, I think a lot of these presidencies post JFK were are intentional, intentionally destructive. Hmm. There's there's these things you look at, especially in hindsight, right? But it, but now you can look at it in real time and say, man, it's, it's like they're really trying to get people like hooked on drugs. Yeah, you know they're really, yeah. they're really trying to, to make people poorer, the war on poverty. But but then it could also be at another level, like a higher level, perhaps it could be, just the logic, of. Of, uh, the philosophy of the West, in its, various iterations over time. The Greek. Um, yeah, I'm always going to take it back to Plato, <laughs> but. Without going there, you could just, like I say, you can just go back to the Enlightenment. And you get the ball rolling, and, okay, at a, at one level down here on the ground, it's like, well, these people are being intentionally stupid and destructive and whatever. But maybe they're not. Maybe they're actual, they actually think that they're making good choices, but they're making those choices within a paradigm of thinking where certain values are the God values that you have, the ideals that you're trying to match the world against. And the ideals are just bad. And so because they exist up there in the, the overarching philosophy of your civilization, well, no matter what you do, you're going to be making bad decisions because those are your assumptions that you have at the base of every decision. And the only way to make good decisions is to reject the bad ideals. Which I think we're actually starting to do now. And I think we actually started really to do that in the 60s with a lot of the dropouts and like the, the Timothy Leary thing, which I think kind of got overshadowed by the LSD stuff. But that was only a fraction of what um, the hippies were really about. It was, I think it was also a political project, but everybody would just wants to talk about, you know, the rock and roll and the sex and the drugs, and that's a, a distraction, I think. That's part of it, uh, but that, that wasn't the main thing. Mm. Um, all that being said, I agree with you. I think the, that Reagan is overrated. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I, I, that's, a good, that's a fine way of putting it. Yeah, so to go back to what you said, I was thinking of an actual example of that, about you know bad philosophy sort of governing goodwill. Mm-hmm. And there was we we were talking about some of these neighborhoods, like uh, Methadone Mile in Boston. That's a that's a nickname for a neighborhood in, in uh, somewhere in Boston. Mm. A lot of destitute people on, hooked on heroin, and mm. <clears throat> there was somebody I, I forget who it was. There were these two people. 
one of them I was talking to recently, but they were driving down the road with this person, Methadone Mile, and they made a comment, and they said, you know, these people should be institutionalized mm -hmm. and, you know, forced into rehab, basically, to get them off the streets, out of this filth. Oh, yeah. This I despair. Saw some, I and, saw some news about this. And the person that they were with said, well, then they wouldn't have free will. They wouldn't be, fr they wouldn't be free hmm. as people. And I, in my mind, I'm thinking that is ridiculous because you, you don't have it when you're governed by the god of dr drug abuse. Hmm. You don't have free will. Mm -hmm. That's what's taken over your free will. Yeah. The whole point of Orpheus. getting somebody off of drugs is to restore their free will, right? Mm -hmm. or, mm -hmm. or some idea of it. But this person was under they the release them from chains. They're under that enlightenment philosophy of well, no, they're freely engaging in this behavior. You have to let them sort of do that. Yeah. And I thought, well, that's bad philosophy. And so whatever levels. you decide to do with your free will is inherently correct. Well, that's sort of the that's the, the lie. That's the lie, right? Yeah. It's like Spinoza or something. <laughs> Again, <laughs> but, I, I, but, my eyes glazed over reading the ethics. I was like, oh my God. <laughs> my point being, I try to understand that, but at some point, it's so dangerous to let those ideas just take over society like they are. Yeah. Because you have people like Michael Schellenberger. Are you familiar with him? No. He's uh, sort of an ex progressive. Yeah. I. Uh, well, it, it reminds me, actually, of people who want to say, well, where's your source? It's like common sense, my friend. Have you tried actually, it? <laughs> actually. There's something called actually, common sense. You can actually, read Thomas Reed if you want a source for common sense, by the way. Actually, it's Bosch here. Yeah, yeah. Oh, my gosh. <laughs> no. Yeah. Um, but Schellenberger was, was one of these, you know, California progressive types who really started to turn on it. And it became, you know, pro-nuclear power and pro-civilization. Yeah. And he would, he, he did a lot of, he ran for governor this last cycle. He ran again on the ballot. He didn't get on the ballot. Oh, this is California. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. And I remember this. And uh, he, he's an, he's excellent. He's an author. He wrote a book called San Francisco, <clears throat> Juliana. Yeah, I've right? heard of this. Mm -hmm. How'd she like it? She liked it, yeah. I mean, it was sort of affirming things she already felt. But sure. anyway, he, he's like, I'm still a progressive, sort of, but more of like the, the European model where we want our streets to be clean. Right. We don't want defecation in the street. We don't yeah. want, we don't, if people are on drugs, we, we give them a choice. You're either going to like be incarcerated for a little while until we get you to rehab or you're going to go right to rehab. Yeah, those are your choices. You don't get to be out here disrupting other people, and um, he's he he's flabbergasted because the European and the Japanese model of sort of pro the progressive Western cultures is nothing like West Coast progressivism, right? Which is just do whatever the hell you want, mm -hmm. no matter what. Yeah, almost now to the point where where <clears throat> people are being. Crimi um, victims of criminal activity, and they're yeah, like still not Louisiana. even the victims. They're not even the victims. They're like, oh, right. my car was stolen. I was robbed at gunpoint. Yeah. But the like, guy oh, who this... stole it is the victim. Holy shit! Like, where are we? You know, <laughs> I, and and I don't want to get way off track, which I already am. But but where are we? Where are we as a country? Where did we? Where did we 
I understand why Dylan <laughs> was considered the voice of a generation. And I, I forget who even said that. Someone said that. Many people said that. Yeah. But I agree. You, you listen to these songs. You read through the lyrics. He's, he's telling the truth about the world. You almost need... You almost need a voice of, for your generation. Like an yeah. actual... You don't want you don't want a, a megalomaniac figure, right. but now we're s- Felix. Felix is we fine. can cut him out. No, right? no, no. We'll keep him. <clears throat> He's part he of the. He see vibe. something out there. Yeah. And there were some issues earlier. Actually, my, the the neighbor's cows got out. Really. And they they totally stampeded, destroyed, and ate the neighbor's whole garden. Oh my god! Like all the corn How she big, was growing. Oh really? Oh, dude, it's it's just I just saw the cops go by. No. So I'm like, I wonder if she if she had a meltdown. Oh no. You know. <laughs> yeah, it's funny. They were the cows were wandering down the street, <laughs> and I had to I drove up to my neighbor's house. <laughs> anyway, dodging cows. <laughs> well, I was like, on I your motorcycle. Go, no, not on the bike. <laughs> I said I gotta go tell him. I gotta. I'm like Jimmy. I, I try to call you. <laughs> anyway, let me tell you about these lines that reminded tell me of a certain me, character. About these lines. From which song? Times they are changing. Oh, you're going you're drifting. I know, but I, I kinda I saw these three songs and I Oregon Driftwood over here. They became a unit to me. And that, well because you had mentioned Times They Are Changing. I feel like this is kinda well, like Well that's the record. This is like a trimaran. Like the the boat in the middle is uh, foul, uh, murder most foul, and then we got two outriggers here, you know, with God on our side and the times they are changing. This line, okay, I'm not even going to tell you who it reminded me of, but you tell me who it reminds you of, if it does remind you of anyone. So here's the line. Come senators, congressmen, please heed the call. Don't stand in the doorway, don't block up the hall, for he that gets hurt will be he who has stalled the battle outside raging. We'll soon shake your windows and rattle your walls for the times they are changing. Come mothers and fathers throughout the land and don't criticize what you can't understand. Your sons and your daughters are beyond your command. Your old road is rapidly aging. Please get out of the new one if you can't lend your hand for the times they are changing. Yeah, that's, to me, that's, that's obviously the emergent. But who's the one in the way? At the time? Right now. What? You want me to say Trump? Mitch McConnell. (laughs) (laughs) Oh. oh. (laughs) Get out of the way, man. (laughs) Well, (laughs) actually, any of those people can get out of the way. They're just antiquated people. Pelosi, McConnell. They're all on the old road. They're all on the old road. This irrelevant old road. And they're trying to shape a really distorted new one. Right with their old perpetuating it's a geriocracy man it is a geriocracy I don't know I like Get that term yeah but people won't vote for the young people they don't like them they, they, they view them as un- inexperienced or something you know you know who we need to get on the broadcast Blake Masters. <laughs> How would we do that? <laughs> reach, so, reach out. I don't know. So Blake, I want to I ask you about this email that uh, they leaked when you were 19. <laughs> no, I, I like that tweet that, he's, that he shot out. What was it, today, yesterday? About modernity. About modernity. 
That was a great comment. There's no question that modern, modern life is poison. <laughs> that should be a universal agreement. It has bad ideals. It should be, that should be something, that used to be something that I felt like everybody understood. Mm -hmm. The uh, people who lean left would say modern, modern life is, is <laughs> war, <laughs> that's a ban, but modern life is, is poisonous because of the technology we have to kill each other with now. Yeah. You know, the, the nuclear bomb is just up the stakes and it's terrible for the, it's terrible. Yeah. Well, you know, the, the then, one of the things that I've been encountering a lot lately in certain, I will, I, with prejudice, begrudgingly will refer to dissident circles as this like archaic Malthusianism, which is also in Edward Abbey, where he's like, we're making too many people. I just do not agree with that at all. And I also think that any person who considers them a Malthusian, them, her, him or herself a Malthusian, should publish their writings and then they should go commit suicide. Cause, or else I don't believe you. Like you first, if you think that you need to call billions of people from the world population, like it's just a murderous ideology. But the problem, I think one of the reasons why Malthusianism exists, and that is for people who are looking up the term or need to, it's the idea that there's not enough resources to sustain the population and so that we should enact strictures on, on the population uh, or just outright call it in order to survive on the planet. But I think one of the reasons why that exists, it comes out of an industrial age mindset where, it's, where people are thinking, there aren't enough resources for, our, for us to keep making this cheap shit to Isn't sell that you. Isn't that funny? Right? So, if, but the answer so isn't kill people. The answer is get rid of industrialism well, and have and make sustainable. That's what I was going to say. Products. So that was housing, Abby. ways of living. That is Abby's belief, though. Well, he he's a little bit confused. He had like six, five kids. Yeah, yeah. He loved women. <laughs> Younger side. True. DiCaprio figure before his time. Let me tell you. Nice. But uh, but the thing about Abby is yes. He had some of that, but really at his core, he, he, he didn't necessarily associate growth, which he wanted to prevent, corporate growth, yeah. with f having families. Yeah, he did yeah, have some of it. It's more complicated than that for Abby. I realize there are some but, other things at play. I, but I understand. The true, you're, what I think what you're getting at, though, is it's a paradox to say we need to stop having kids so that we can fit within the industrial... Right. Markers. Because we don't have enough resources to make all the cheap shit for all the people. <laughs> it's like, you don't need to make cheap shit. You could make other things that are yeah. actually more sustainable. You could make things that aren't, that don't have planned obsolescence. Well, it's, it's also a, a slip and slide to like a genocidal mindset too. Yeah. Which is, which is, uh, how far are you willing to go with your one child policy, you know? Right. Well, now you have threats of population collapse in certain places. Like last year, apparently, Japan lost 600,000 600, people died in Japan, which is, that's like if they went to war and got slaughtered. That's their net, their net negative, their negative. Yeah. yeah. That is insane. <laughs> it's crazy. So then you can understand why a person like well, Elon Musk is saying, listen, Population growth is not the problem. It's populations crashing. That is something that's very scary and concerning. It goes back to that ideology 
of the of of that ideology on on methadone mile, my liberty, mm-hmm. my liberty to be selfish, which is in the Blake Masters tweet that oh you, that you sent yeah. to the chat, yeah, 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 the, the, yeah, that the modern world is saying to you. What did he say? Something about like, oh, I just want to travel. Yeah, yeah. I love those things. Sure. And I don't even, I don't have kids either. So I'm one of those people technically right now. Mm-hmm. But the reality of, of the, the Western narcissism yeah. that's just so rampant and people who wouldn't otherwise necessarily be narcissists yeah. have become nourished by this poison seed that they, they don't even realize they're like, it goes into whole, a whole host of issues. Men aren't, uh, who was talking, where was I watching this? Men aren't having sex in their 20s and 30s with women. Hmm. They're just like at home on OnlyFans. Hmm. Um, the culture and crisis of porn. Yeah. All of this stuff. That's like yeah, just yeah. people are not having enough sex. They actually should be going out and sunning hooking up a little ball. bit more and sunning their balls. I'm serious. And they should follow Carnivore Aurelius. <laughs> no, I, really, it's it's. Who would have thought that? You know, be, the the irony of of sex work is work and that movement and those yeah. people. Which, which is one thing, whatever, or the one set of opinions. But who would have thought the irony of that leading to, like, celibacy? <laughs> or just unable to get it. <laughs> An antiodromia. Like, the, most, the people who identify most strongly with their personality traits in their sexuality are the people not getting any. Yeah. And that's kind of hilarious. It's, it's ironic. They're, like, fetishizing every part of themselves, but they're not getting laid. Yeah. And the way to get laid is to listen to Bob Dylan. <laughs> Nourish your soul and go find some woman. Introduce I, yourself. I had a, yeah, that sounds And arrange right. a nice evening. I had a couple of, of other thoughts on this and we can start to wind it down. Granted, this was all over the place, this one, but we just, I just felt so overwhelmed. We're just vibing. I just felt so overwhelmed, though, looking at this. Yeah. I'm gonna I'm gonna push something on you at the end of the at the end of this to to kind of elaborate on because you're it's more your world. But um, did you catch the line about going down to the crossroads, gonna flag a ride? Did you are you familiar with Robert Johnson? Yeah, yeah. Who at down at the crossroads sold a soul yes. at the crossroads? Yes. So you're familiar with... Well, I'm with not, the, like, super familiar. Yeah, the, the I blues, know the story, yeah. Sort of the origin, one of the original bluesmen. Yep. Um, do you think that's what he's talking about? It's the crossroads there? You think he's... he's probably. But probably. What's, he, what's he saying about it? The place where faith, hope, and charity died. Oh, dang. But did JFK die at a crossroads? No. He was... Was, it, was he at, like, an intersection? I don't know. No, I don't think so. Maybe he was, but... I think it's, I feel like the place where faith, hope, and charity dies for a society is when you sell your culture's soul to the devil. Yeah. Robert Johnson sold his soul to the devil at the crossroads. This is my reading into it. L.B. Johnson. L.B. Johnson. Um, There's so many of the, there's so many things in here, but big ideas wise, though, I really felt like there's a jazz backbone to this and it goes from it's really in the middle here 
because I listen to a lot of these songs. Well, this song is Thelonious a verse refrain. Yeah. But Thelonious Monk, who he references, um, Oscar Peterson plays Stan Getz. Mm-hmm. There's a section here where he's referencing jazz. Yeah. And by the end of the, the by the end of the song, like I said before, he references rock in a section because he's got Stevie Nicks. Yep. And um, so you've got Fleetwood Mac, and you've got the Eagles are referenced at some point. But he, he cups the jazz together. Yep. And then by the end of it, he cups he couples. Um, some of these like old timey songs together. Like, yeah. What do you think about where he's doing it with the jazz though? Because you talked on the last episode about about your philosophies with jazz. Is 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 he getting into something there? That's that's. I don't know. You don't know. <coughs> I couldn't even begin. It's so to untangle to say, it. No, I have no idea. Because the jazz is a philosophy on its own right, though, and it's... Oh, I agree with that. I definitely hold that <clears throat> view, but I have absolutely no idea what is going on here with these mashups. You know, this song featuring that song. Yeah, yeah. No, there's, you know, it's like, there's, it's too much. It would take you a long time to listen it, I to I think it's a 70-song playlist, and they have them actually on Spotify. Oh, wow. You can listen to the whole thing. Wow. They, they exist around... I pulled it up and I was like, "Oh my gosh, I can't. I won't have time to listen to this before." We no, do the it's cast. it's a lot. It's a lot. Hey, let me ask you this then, because I okay. want to get your thoughts on yeah. this one. There's so many questions. I wrote down so many, but do you think he's talking about Bobby when he says, "Don't worry, Mr. President, helps on the way. Your brothers are coming. There will be hell to pay. Brothers, what brothers? What's this about hell? Tell them we're waiting. Keep coming. We'll get them as well." Mm. Yeah, that's of course it's about Bobby. You think it's about his brothers? For sure. Or or who's this help that's coming? The cavalry. <laughs> I don't know. Uh I, this whole song is a big I don't know for me because it's there's so many references. I mean, if you were just to sum up the song, it would be probably Bob Dylan thinks the powers that be killed John F. Kennedy. That's what the song is, you know. And all of the other stuff is details. Um, and maybe he's giving you, maybe he's telling you who did it, and and, and how. Well, the powers that be govern not only government, but culture. Yeah, they're in charge of culture, right? Put a film. And I did see. I think you saw this as well. Uh, that video of the kid saying, oh, I went through some of these songs and, like, some of them are actually pretty dark. Some of the subject matter that they're bringing up. Um, I watched the... Maybe we can close on this. I watched the Nobel lecture while I listened to it. Oh. Did you do that? I didn't. You should check it out. Yeah. It's really cool. Um, He talks... On this song? No, no. It's just when he receives oh, the... Oh, Dylan's Nobel. Yeah, yeah when lecture. he re- receives the prize, he did a lecture. I don't think he, he recorded it. Uh, I think he may have showed up for something else, but the lecture is recorded, and it had to be because there's jazz music in the background, and he, he's reading it, and he's actually reading it in this kind of like jivey style. And He doesn't like the camera. Yeah, apparently not. No, huh? he's, pretty, he's pretty like... Yeah. It's a, it's a little bit too hot. It's showing too much, I think. But he does, he, it has three parts. It's quite enjoyable. And this is why I thought it was funny when you 
texted me earlier today just talking about all quiet on the Western Front. I thought that you were telling me that you had listened no? to the Nobel lecture because there's an energy. The first half. There's an energy, man. About <laughs> all of this stuff. The first half. Yeah, there really is. He or the first third, he's talking about Moby Dick. Really great summary, by the way. And then all quiet on the Western Front. Excellent summary. And then he talks about the Odyssey. Uh, and what you get from this is that Bob Dylan was and is really a man of letters. Yes. He's very much in the tradition, and he probably read his face off. Um, but not only in English literature, he, he knows, I mean, I don't know how well, but he's familiar with Plato and Aristotle. Um, and not only is he in that line of thinking, but he also was a real student of the American folk tradition. And that is something that I think is an underexplored territory in American culture. And I think that it got hijacked. Like, I, I don't know where I saw this, but someone was talking about how in art there was this amazing um, trend of, of American realism in the early 50s and 60s that kind of got like blown out of the way by the Mark Rothko's of the world, by vibe. Um, and, and in music, it happened with the British invasion. So before the British invasion, you had this like wellspring of American folk that was really taking over. It was what everybody was into. Uh, but then with British, British invasion, that kind of got blown out of the way. But I think that there's room for it to come back. And what is this British blossom. invasion you're talking about? Oh, the Beatles. Okay. Um, the other guys. I can't believe I'm forgetting their names. You, you wouldn't put the Beatles in, in a folk tradition at all. No. I mean, they have some songs that you don't are folky. Think, you don't think that our Elvis Presley sort of smash folk music? Oh, too? for sure. He did that. <clears throat> yeah. But I... But, but even Dylan smashed folk. Well, he took his he took he plugged in, in a way that was metaphysically, kind of denying it in in a way. I meant to say the Rolling Stones. Oh, Cannot believe I, Stones, I, dude, I forgot I, their I name briefly. Mick Mick Jagger, Keith, Mick Rich, Jagger. Keith yeah. Richards. He's one hundred and seventy five years old, you know, and still having kids. <laughs> We can he's only, like biblical age. He's like yeah. He's Methuselah. <laughs> he's um, no Methuselah. It's oh interesting. Gosh. Well, you know, Dylan though gets that because he was he went to Woody Guthrie's bedside. He he had yeah, that's what I'm saying. A respect that was so deep that gets into the only good artist knows and studies the greats. There were a lot of a lot of bands. Um, people give the Rolling Stones a lot of, of flack for what they do mm -hmm. because a lot of their chord progressions and their lead guitar work, like Keith Richards, is, is really muddy waters and blues offshoots. And they say, well, they're, they were just hijacking blues music from the United States. No, they were paying homage to what they know worked. And well, the, and what was good? What was good? No, what I mean by yeah. worked. When I say things work, I mean yeah. like they're the, by laws of work. Like right. The good blues music was yeah. following 
the laws of the American feeling and experience for a certain group of people. Yeah, and also that goes <clears throat> along with the fact that you cannot patent culture. You can't patent the blues scale. Like, no, 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 but <clears throat> I'm not even saying patenting or ripping yeah, off. Yeah. I'm saying well, it's good, all borrowed. Good artists even borrow Even the blues from, was borrowed. But they, they borrow from historical and... Yes, but they're borrowing back. Right. A, a lot of bands I see now and a lot of music you see now is borrowing parallel. They're seeing a band do well. Yeah. And they're like, I'm going to do that sound. Sure, sure. But they have no... They have, their, their suitcase is empty because they're not... They don't know how to rewind to where that band got their sound from. Right. You, just, you know what I'm saying? When I was listening to With God on Our Side, one of the things I liked about it... Yeah. <laughs> let's, let's do it. Let's no, go. I'm, not trying to, I'm not trying to circle us back here, but, I, but this came to my mind. Yeah. And I've, I've thought about this a lot, actually, over the years. And it's that um, I know a lot of musicians, and I know that they don't cover each other's stuff. It's very rare for musicians these days to cover other musicians' music. But back then, everybody was covering everybody. You're, uh, okay, um, I won't cut you off, but... Joan Baez is covering Bob Dylan. Mm -hmm. Jimi Hendrix is covering Bob Dylan. The Beatles are covering mm -hmm. Bob Dylan. And actually, Jimi Hendrix is covering the Beatles. Like, they're all covering each other. And I think that this was a very nice practice in the mm -hmm. music community of this mutual giving and taking. Like, I'm appreciating what you've done. I'm going to do an homage to you by covering your music. The your only band and artist I see that does this yeah. now is yeah. Brian Fallon hmm. in the Gaslight Anthem. Are you familiar? I know the name. And I know exactly why he does it, I think. Why? I think I know. Why? I think that's not... To not only to appreciate what he's feeling that's contemporary, because he wants to say, hey, there's a lot of good music going on right now. Yeah. If I, if I have a good audience, I'm going to show people. Yeah. I'm going to like bring these people up with me. Yeah. That's really camaraderie. That's, yeah. that's one thing. <clears throat> but also... To um, encourage the act. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, and to keep the to keep the cultural waters up for sure. I think this is different too. It's different from the the concept of the YouTube cover. I don't this think is that's different. the same. This isn't what I'm, I'm talking about. Like, yeah, on, this is like a, a, a let's say J John Mayer is covering right. So somebody else uh, on their record. I don't want to say Taylor Swift, <laughs> but let's say John Mayer is covering well, Leon Bridges. No, you know who did that? Ryan Adams did Taylor Swift. Oh, he did a whole record. Oh no, kidding! Yeah, he yes. did. Yeah. Oh, but but Gaslight Anthem on their last record before they went on hiatus, they're back now. Get hurt. The last song is called on that record was called "This Is Where We Part," and it's a cover by a band who's smaller than them. Yeah. So they draw attention to bands that aren't even at their level. Yeah. Now, when I saw them play live, they got me. They they played a song called "The War." Hmm. Which is a, an amazing one of my favorite songs by a band called Lucero. And when I heard it, I had never heard Lucero before. This is how I got yeah, I, I found Lucero. I, I pay a lot of money for Lucero records now because because of that show. Wow. They played this song and I was like, man, I think that's the best song I've heard tonight. <laughs> and it was a cover. 
And they're like, this is by a band from Memphis. And I'm like, well, Lucero's a pretty big band. Like, they do pretty well. Sure. They sell out their shows and whatnot. But so I heard that, and I'm like, wow, they like they're showing me the rest of the culture around them yeah. that's right now. Yeah. Um, and I think a lot of bands, especially in a in a in a market. Yeah. You know, music's a market now. Yeah. They're afraid to bring up other people. Like, they're going to lose listeners because they're bringing up other bands that are... I've, I've heard it said before, don't cover contemporary songs. It doesn't make sense to me. I think maybe there's there's a an argument for that. But I think among contemporaries, like, let's say... Let's say you're a YouTube person and you're covering the songs. Maybe it would be better for you to like go through the treasury of great old songs and and bring those back up. But I think for contemporaries, for people who are on the same level, who have kind of similar audience sizes, that that is a cool thing to see. You know, Cole, imagine if Coldplay covered Jimmy Eat World. That'd be interesting. Well, I think, yeah, but I think it's cool. Also, I feel like I'm I'm throwing out like really archaic bands. If there no. are some Zoomers listening to us, Coldplay. No, that's a big. That's one of the biggest bands. In no, the no, world. I know Coldplay is big, but Jimmy Eat World. No, that's that's well, yeah, that is the uh, sort of OG, sort of emo rock. rock yeah, like right. Yeah, where would you put them? I'd put them in that emo rock world. Well, I don't know. A couple of weeks ago, you and Kai were giving me a real hard time. No, so, oh, no that's no. not really. Well, but... say anything is more like the pop stuff, yeah, yeah, warped tour kind yeah, of thing. Yeah, yeah. Um, but uh, well, that's that's conversation for another day. But yeah. So to conclude here, um, we've been betrayed by Shadow Capal. Uh, Building Seven didn't fall on its own. And you should and... listen to Bob Dylan. <laughs> we should listen. To... <laughs> Slip that in at the end. Um, man. It is weird, 9-11. It still feels weird, because I remember where I was as a kid. Me too. And I remember one of the things I, I wrote recently was, uh, I remember how you had to go to the information. Yeah. They're like, come inside, kids. I was on the playground, I was sixth grade. Yeah, you gotta listen to the radio, or the, you, turn the TV we, on. We have to tell you something. They brought you in, we have to tell you something. We weren't yeah. like, oh, oh shit. Yeah. Looking at the screen. Yeah. Like, we have to get you into a room, mm -hmm. make sure you're safe, sh and tell you something, and maybe your parents will show you and talk to you about it. And that was a, that's something kids now would never understand. Yeah. Even 12-year-olds, they all have phones now. Yeah. And that's that, but that's how I made a memory. I remember running up the hill, I was playing soccer. It was just like, you got to get in. Like what? Are you, what's going on? You know. Then parents picked us up from school. It's pretty much like a like an emergency around the country. Oh you know? yeah, yeah, yeah. Get the kids home, kind of deal. Yeah. People felt like they didn't know if schools were gonna start going, yeah. blowing up or whatever. It's like. I don't high need, high I don't, alert. I don't need to go on about nine eleven, but that is today. It's. It's today. It's weird. So, All right. Well. We're Shall gonna, we call it? We're going to sign off. Um, go listen to Bob Dylan. If, if you haven't, <laughs> haven't checked him out yet. A murder most foul. <laughs> the times they are changing. And? With God on our side.
and out. Maar in Konaar. 